Welcome to the Sharing the Faith podcast, where every other week we explore the beauty and power of faith in Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Now here is your host, Dr. Tom Neal. Well, hello, everyone. This is Dr. Tom Neal. Welcome back to the podcast, Sharing the Faith. I'm so grateful you've joined us, hopefully again, in this series that we've begun recently. And today I have again back a guest that I had a few weeks ago that's a dear friend of mine, Father Jim Schmidtmeyer, who is right now sitting in a high school in Amarillo, Texas Diocese. Have him talk about that a bit shortly. But uh, today we're going to focus on what you might call the gospel of work or the dignity of human work. And last time I had our podcast, I focused on work and the dignity of work in the lay vocation. And so I asked Father Jim back today to talk more about that because he has a real love for that. But before we begin, I will open with a prayer to St. Joseph that Pope St. Pius X wrote himself. Very beautiful. So we'll begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O glorious St. Joseph, model of all those who are devoted to labor, obtain for me the grace to work in a spirit of penance for the expiation of my sins, to work conscientiously, putting the call of duty above my natural inclinations, to work with thankfulness and joy, considering it an honor to employ and develop by means of labor the gifts received from God, to work with order, peace, moderation, and patience, never shrinking from weariness or trials, to work above all with purity of intention and detachment from self, keeping unceasingly before my eyes death and the account that I must give of lost talents, time, unused, good, omitted, and vain complacency and success. All for Jesus, all through Mary, all after thy example, O patriarch St. Joseph. Such shall be my watchword in life and in death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Father Jim, it is a joy to have you here, dear friend of mine for quite a number of years now. Uh, Father Jim, as I mentioned, is a priest for the Diocese of Amarillo, Texas. He is uh, retired, but that does not mean much in terms of his own pastoral ministry. He just has a new kind of freedom now, not being a <laughs> pastor of a particular parish, but now being pastor of many people and their uh, souls and lives. So, Father Jim, welcome back to our uh, podcast today. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Tom. And, and thank you for beginning with that prayer uh, in honor of St. Joseph. Uh, I don't know if you realize this or not, but um, I named my truck St. Joe because oh, uh, I didn't. a number of years ago, I was looking for a different <laughs> truck and, and it's hard to find a work truck. You know? Uh, you know, I live on a small ranch, as you know, I, I haul hay and horses and, and uh, I, uh, I, I didn't need a, a fancy truck, but, but it's hard to find a stripped down model of a truck and i happen to find one on may 1st the feast of saint joseph the war serious and, uh, uh, I, I just thought that was such a neat coincidence i named my truck saint joe <laughs> <laughs> that is so perfect that's so perfect well my, as i mentioned last time my uh, my daughters and i went to father jim's ranch house there and spent uh several days with him and with his horses and his dog and just such a beautiful beautiful open area and we sat out at nighttime together under these stars and father jim told us stories about the local history of the people there and, and yeah, anyway so if you ever get to go to amarillo and look father jim up i'm sure he'd be happy to give you a 
a tour and introduction to his his uh, his home and his animals. And of course, that's the reason I'm at a local high school because our internet connections here are, are very uh, uh, very poor. So uh, uh, fortunately, the the folks at the high school are letting me uh, borrow theirs today. So we're very grateful for that too. <laughs> I know that last time, even last time when you were you were visiting family up north, it was the the connection because you didn't have a kind of a solid connection. So this is much better. We're grateful that they opened up you know that space for you. So, well, Father, let's jump right into our topic today. Um, this this conversation, Father Jim and I have been having for many years about the dignity of work, which Father I picked up on very quickly from your writing and then just from our exchanges how much you value it in your own life and the history that you have from your family and so on. But I'd like to begin with a quote um, that I used recently in a blog post that I um, posted that Father Jim had, you know, re responded to one, one time and, and, and appreciatively. And, and, and this quote particularly from Lumen Gentium, which is a document from the Second Vatican Council. And paragraph 34, it's one of my favorite quotes from the whole Second Vatican Council. It says, Thus, as those everywhere who adore in holy activity, the laity consecrate the world itself to God. And that's such a powerful image of the lay vocation in the world is to consecrate the world. And so I'd like to kind of begin to unpack that through the show, that image of consecration and how it connects to the sacred, which is I know what we'll be focusing on. Um, but to begin with, I would love to reference a blog post that you wrote, Father, called a called Workbench Altar, which is a beautiful image. And I'm going to read a little section from it and then ask you to comment on it to start the show, if that's okay with you. Sure. Okay. So Father, Father writes this, no matter if you lay asphalt, bale hay, or weld metal, no matter if you teach math, change tires, or change bedpans, no matter if you make investments, make meals, or make a home, your work is necessary and important, and it is holy. During the offertory at Mass in some regions of Africa, everyone leaves the building to gather the gifts they left at the door of the church, squawking chickens, baby goats, bushels of corn. They carry them singing and swaying to the altar of God. So if you happen to have a family of a family to feed, Imagine placing a cereal box next to the chalice uh, on the altar. If you're a roofer, set your gloves beside the missile. If, you're, if you drive a truck, drop your keys on the paten with the hosts. Nurses, imagine bathing a patient when you see the priest washing his hands. Retirees, arrange a rosary near a candle for all the people you prayed for this past week. Yes, Bring your laundry soap, stepladders, and hard hats to the altar of God. Why? Because your daily work is your daily gift to God. At every Mass, your labor is joined to the ongoing, soul-saving, overtime work of Christ, son of a carpenter, friend of fishermen, and savior of the world. That is so gorgeous, Father. It is such beautiful imagery. So if you, you could just maybe comment on that, kind of where did that in, you know, inspiration come from and what, what does that mean for you and for the people who are listening? Well, you know, uh, part of it is, uh, I'm sure it's connected to my background. I grew up on a family farm, spent most of my days milking cows and uh, a driving tractor and uh, uh, I was fortunate to, to have uh, a number of brothers and sisters to work with. And, and 
my folks always made the the work fun. And uh, there was this kind of a, a family culture that, you know, we work hard and we're proud of what we do. And, and that has, you know, that, that just sunk in very deep. Um, my, uh, my folks were very good at, at overlapping uh, the faith with what we did day after day. I, I grew up oftentimes hearing my dad say that, you know, if you're close to the soil, you're close to God. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I remember one time he was clearing off a fence row, and I was just a young boy and uh, uh, too young to swing an axe. I was just throwing the wood up on the trailer. And I, I remember him breaking off one of these long thorns from a, from a locust tree. Uh, that we have there in Ohio, they're they're ghastly. Uh, uh, and I remember him bringing this thorn to me and saying, "Jimmy, this is probably the kind of thorns they used on Jesus." So you know, this this overlap really, um, you know, it's a wonderful way, and I think it's a it's a really valuable spiritual discipline to to help uh, help us Catholics. Uh, you know, you know our, our faith is so tangible; it's it's so touchable; it's it's sacramental. You know, to to, to connect the work that we do with the offering of the Mass, uh, it, it just adds a whole new perspective, a whole new depth of meaning, and, and with that comes a, a whole new dimension of fulfillment uh, in, in, yes. in, in the purpose of your life. <laughs> yes. Why? It, it does. And, and as you as a priest, it brings a whole new sense of meaning to what you do at the altar, to what you receive. You have you have such a sense in, in our conversations. I've seen this and even the times I, w- I was able to be there at mass when you celebrated mass in your parish. And I watched you receive the gifts that the people brought up at the offertory. And I had you know known of your your love for this way of thinking about the mass and its connection with work. And and just when you look at those people as you so often talk about in your writing, you, you see behind them stories. You see a long kind of history of, of suffering and work and joys and all, all the things that are there that are being brought with them up to the altar. So you as a priest, that's powerful for you as well. Oh, yes. And, you know, uh, I, I came across a, an essay by uh, uh, Pierre de Chardin a number of years ago called The Mass in the World. And back when he was a chaplain of the, in the French army during World War I, he, he writes this essay on a, uh, about an experience of his one morning where he did not have any bread or wine in order to offer mass. So he uh, he climbs a hill outside this village to pray, and and he sees all of the activity down there in the valley. You know the the factories, the the, the farmers going out to their fields, and and he he mystically takes their labor. You know the uh, the weight they're pulling the. Uh, the things are lifting. He places them on his patent. He, he puts their, their 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 sweat and their toil in in, in the chalice, uh, spiritually speaking. And he offers this to God, and he says, "This is the sacrifice God really wants. This is the one He really desires." You know the, uh, and and obviously, uh, being the body of Christ in the world, this is how we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, with the cotton we grow, with the the wheat we grow, with um, with, with the factories that that. Uh, you know, uh, weave the cloth, uh, uh, the teachers conveying wisdom and knowledge, uh, the sick being healed. This is, uh, this is all the work of Christ within us. And I think it's a beautiful thing. You know, in, uh, a pod, uh, in, in, in a blog post of yours recently, Tom, you, you had uh, that really beautiful reflection of, of, of going into a hardware store and, and just experiencing how that staff was just so so congenial and then 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 
experiencing how they attended to this homeless man who came in yeah. and, uh, uh, and was in need of help. And, and, and a little bit after that, you, uh, you, you, you went to this mechanic shop <laughs> where this, the owner just, you know, had this tremendous spirit and, uh, uh, a whole, uh, atmosphere of working together and, uh, supporting his, his team, like he would his family, buying them lunch once a week. Ah, oh, gosh, you know, that, that is so yes. encouraging and hopeful and uplifting. Uh, it just adds a sense of, of unity and purpose. Uh, you know, those stories help us see how all of our work is, is part of God's work. This is just a, a beautiful thing. No, I thank you for saying that. It, 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 it is. And, and, you know, thinking about this over the years and reflecting so much on the the beautiful kind of theology of work that we have in our church tradition, which you're unpacking here so much already has made me among other things, among my own experiences as well, family and friends and people who are just witnesses to work. And it's, as a, as it's, it's greatness, especially hidden work, the work, the work that nobody really appreciates except those few who are present who see it and who don't, you know, the people who don't seek out attention or applause and they just, this is what they do. Um, but those experiences you mentioned that I had, uh, especially the one in the shop where the the homeless man came in, and while he was there, the homeless man put on some surgical gloves and a needle and was going to shoot up in, in, in the shop. And so, the you know, this happens fairly regularly at this place because it's near a psychiatric hospital. And so when people who are in there are released who are homeless, have nowhere to go, they'll often wander into local businesses, et cetera. And so he, yeah, the way that he received, the way I watched all that. So they called the police, but the police came eventually. But his, one of his employees was attending to this man, just talking him down, you know, trying to stop him from what he was going to do. And then the police came in and they handled it really beautifully. They were not, you didn't manhandle the man. They kind of helped him kind of, you could tell he was just not there. And then when he, the, the man left, I spoke to the owner because I'd never been to this place. And I just said to him, does this happen often? And he said, yes. And he told me about the why and. And then he said, you know, uh, but the first thing I do when I see these things happen, he says, is, is I pray. I just ask God, help me to handle this. And then we attend to the person and, you know, uh, I see if I can help them. If, if there's something that, you know, that they need or I can help them with outside of the business here. But if they're on drugs or I can see there's real mental illness, I, I try not to engage it directly. Um, but still want to treat them with the same reverence and care. And, and anyway, just, just the way he spoke and the sense that he had, and he'd been in his business almost 20 years, he had this business. It was, aw it was awe inspiring, the reverence. And, I, and, and all I could think of was what you said, which is the, the bringing of the gifts up with the sense of reverence for the gifts, these awesome things that are going to be transformed. And he has that same sense of receiving these people in his business, me or, or a homeless man or whatever that is. So. No, I appreciate that. And I want to say, Father, that, that, uh, Father Teilhard de Chardin image of the mass on the world, which I also have, I just, it, it blows my mind every time I read it. Um, it makes me think of the communal dimension of the mass, that there's no such thing as a mass celebrated alone. Every mass is always celebrated in communion with the whole church and should always have people present and is connected with the people of God. And work is communal by its nature. I mean, it's, and this is something that you have a lot of experience of in rural life and rural communities yeah. <laughs> is that all work is everyone chips in, everyone lends a hand. So, so maybe you could talk about that, the communal dimension of work, especially in rural America. Yeah. You know, it's very, uh, 
<laughs> it's just kind of taken for granted when you uh, when you're in a small town. Uh, I remember uh, when, when I was a boy, uh, the the neighbors would uh, share. They'd go together and buy equipment together, and they would have to share the equipment and take their turns with the threshing or the combining or the baling of hay. Now most farmers own own their own equipment, of course, of course. But 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 um, you know that that tradition still is around. You know. Uh, <laughs> uh, at home, quite a few families still butcher together in the winter time, uh, or they you know, um, uh, hunt deer together. Uh, there, there's a there's a great camaraderie, and uh, in in the small community, uh, it's one of the reasons why harmony and cooperation is so important because everyone has to get along. Because if if you don't <laughs> if you don't get along, uh, you're not going to show up for uh, uh, those uh, community suppers or you know the the time when when you. you if, if people aren't aren't putting the community first, you know, you might not have a little league coach, or you might not have people volunteering for the life squad. A lot depends on volunteers to keep those small towns going, and uh, and it becomes very obvious whether uh, uh, everybody's pulling their weight or not. But the community comes first, and, um, and so that's something I've always enjoyed and appreciated about being a, a rural pastor. You, you you just had this connection, and, and and to be able to join your parishioners and and doing some of those community projects, man, you know, there, there's a bond that forms, you know, especially for us guys. You know, we uh, we're better at working together than talking together a lot of times. And uh, but, but you know, I, I often notice that, especially with the men in the parish. You know, if you show up and you, you help them bill hay or uh, build a fence or whatever, you know, uh, man, they uh, uh, you're in. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and obviously, this is um, isn't this part of the appeal of the gospel? You know, the Lord always talked about uh, the wheat in the field, or the yeast in the dough, the uh, um, finding lost coins under the bed, sweeping the floor. You know, he, he always he always made that overlap uh, between uh, uh, the work of our hands and and, and the work of His Father. You know, um, and, and, and so I, I have personally found a lot of enrichment in that. And, and joy, um, and and so I, I, that, that's been a big focus of my preaching, trying to um, trying to uh, look for places where our story overlaps with God's story, and uh, uh, and and that by itself brings a, a whole new vision of value and importance to to what we do, you know, from raising kids to cleaning the house to washing the truck. Um, you know, it, it just adds that, that dimension of dignity, as you say, that um, uh, sense of purpose and value um, to what we're doing. Yes. <laughs> I just heard a bell. The bell, a school bell. <laughs> <laughs> They're busy working out there. That's, <laughs> that's, that, is, that brings back memories way <laughs> to, to my high school years. <laughs> um, Father, thinking about, obviously you've spent, so many years now of your priesthood in rural settings, in rural rural ministry, small town, smaller town ministry. Um, but before you were a priest in Amarillo, as we talked about last time you were on the show, you were a priest in Cincinnati, Ohio. So you had obviously urban experience as well. And particularly, I remember us discussing a parish you were pastor at, I think that had something like 1300 families, uh, obviously a very different experience. So maybe comment on on what the difference in kind of approaching work and as a priest and how that kind of enriched your own life and what insights you could bring. 
Yeah, I, I appreciate that question. Um, the name of that parish in Cincinnati was St. Aloysius Gonzaga. And uh, I'd gone there after serving in a rural parish for 11 years. And, and of course, as I was saying, you know, as a preacher in a rural town, you know what everybody does for a living. And it's very easy to uh, to connect the, the gospel with, uh, with uh, uh, an, an agrarian community. But when I got to Cincinnati, it, it, um, it was difficult to do that. Uh, my parishioners are very friendly. They're basically a blue-collar parish. They talk about uh, their kids. They talk about uh, sports teams. But I always had to ask them, what do you do for a living? They would ne- <laughs> that, that just never came up. And so um, after a while of uh, inquiring, uh, well, I learned, okay, a lot of them were firefighters, policemen, teachers, nurses. Uh, but then uh, I, I did one of the best things I've, I've ever done, uh, what I consider one of the most helpful beneficial projects I ever initiated. I started a Take Your Pastor to Work program. And uh, and I wrote a little book on it called Preacher in a Hard Hat. And it was so much fun um, and so enriching, uh, not just for me, but but also for the people. So so for a number of years, um, uh, once or twice a week, uh, I'd regularly be invited to tag along, shadow people at at their jobs. And I got to do all kinds of things. I, uh, I remember spending an afternoon in the candy shop. And, uh, I remember particularly because it was during lunch. <laughs> I was abstaining from chocolate. <laughs> but I, I got to ride in garbage tr- uh, trucks, uh, medevac helicopters. Um, I, uh, I, uh, I got a tour of a juvenile detention center one day. Uh, I, I spent some time in a pathology lab. Um, it, it just went on and on. And, uh, and and so I, I I got this sense that part of my parishioners' lives, but but on their part, what what I what I experienced not only did I, I learn about the different things they did, and could sometimes uh, you know that was really helpful to provide a little bit of a background setting for some of my uh, preaching. I, I would never use uh, an example, of course, without permission. But but the the thing I remember in particular was how much the my, my parishioners appreciated the fact that somebody was interested in what they did, you know. Um, they, they were just delighted that someone uh, paid attention, wanted to know what they did day after day, yes. uh, hour after hour. And, uh, and what I learned was um, it was just, it, it, it was a very enriching experience, I think, for them, and it certainly was for me. You know, uh, that what you just said, uh, and this, by the way, this, what we're talking about here is what I'm most excited about talking about because that book, Preacher in a Hard Hat, just, it has the most extraordinary stories. And, you know, I taught in seminary for 11 years and I would use the images from that book and from your blog posts around mm-hmm. that um, to share with the men, you know, that, that to show yourself interested in the lives of the people that you're part of, you know, the sharing Pope Francis's famous image, you know, uh, to just sharing this, the the smell of the sheep, right. Taking the smell of the sheep on yourself, you know, is a way to gain their confidence, not as some kind of ploy, but as just a genuine expression of love that you, you reverence and honor what they do. And I remember, uh, sharing with them every year, I would share with them a, a memory I had of a priest. I was dear friends with in Jersey city, New Jersey. He was my spiritual director back in the early nineties 
for about four years. And uh, he, he had a secretary in the front office with a Jersey accent. Her name was Louise. And uh, she would answer the phone. It was Holy Rosary Parish, Italian parish. And she would answer the phone. Holy Rosary, can I help you? You know, very <laughs> thick Jersey accent. And when he began there as pastor, uh, he sat down with her. She had been secretary there for like 25 years or something like that. So, you know, she knew the parish through and through. And he said to her, you know, tell me what I need to know here to be a, a good priest for these people. What, what, what should I know? And she says, well, let me tell you three things. She says, there's three things you do, and then you got them. And she, this is what she said. She said, the first one is let the people know you love them. Show them signs you love them. That's the first thing. Second thing she said is let the people see you pray. They want to know their priest is a man who prays. And the third thing is let them know that no job is beneath you. So make sure you clean toilets on a regular <laughs> basis. And I love that. Very simple. But it makes me think of what you did here, right? You let them know you loved them. Uh, you uh, gave them a witness that no job is beneath you. And you're a man of prayer. And that's evident in what you do. And, you, you know, so... So I know that shines through in the, in the love that they felt from you. Um, but you also got really deep insights, you said, uh, into the way God works in people's lives, not just in general, but on an hourly basis. I love that. So maybe you could share something of that. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, this was a long time ago, but I'll, I'll never forget some of the conversations I had with, with my parishioners on, on the job. This one, um, this one uh, woman worked in the pathology lab, and and one of the questions I, I would routinely ask would be, well, what what do you most enjoy about your work, or what 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 gives you the most uh, sense of fulfillment? And and I remember her sharing with me that one of the uh, most poignant parts of her job was when she would be looking at slides underneath the microscope and counting white blood cells. And and every once in a while, you know, she realized that that the person that this blood sample came from has leukemia, and at that moment, she's the only person in the world that knows. And and she said, you know, this 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 individual, in a very short time, that their life is going to change dramatically. And she said, Father Jim, I I always take a moment, and I pray, I pray for that person, because right now I'm the only one who knows. And uh, I offered them. I offered them up to God. Mm. You know, um, it's just this beautiful example wow. of how prayer and worship and work you know, fold into one another. I remember another situation where I was uh, with this guard at a, this juvenile detention facility. It, it, it was it was it was heartbreaking. It, it was like a prison for teenagers. You know, complete with concertina wire and cells. You know, um, and. And uh, it, was a, it was a holding situation. They weren't going to be there forever. But um, I, I can remember being with this individual and uh, being up in a, a, an overlook, um, uh, a platform overlooking a day room. And so all the kids were down there, you know, uh, uh, watching TV, doing some games. And But, but there was a glass, a uh, security glass between the observation deck and the and the kids down there in the day room. And on, on, on the window of this this uh, room, um, they had pictures of their own families, uh, their, their, uh, with their kids, uh, at, you know, with Christmas trees and at the beach and birthday parties. And, and I asked him, I said, so, so what are these pictures doing on, on this, 
this plate glass window. He said, oh, well, we do that for a reason. It's to remind us that the kids down there in that day room are kids just like ours back at home. You know, and, and so, you you know, it's uh, <laughs> reminded me of, you know, uh, a house built of living stones. You know, we, uh, uh, our, our, our work, uh, the, the things we do, you know, this is how we build up the kingdom uh, in, in countless ways. And, and uh, uh, the more that I, as a preacher, could help people notice those details and, and, and see how God is at work in, um, in all these small little instances, you know, trying to break through to our consciousness, saying, yeah, I'm here. You know, now, one of my favorite verses is from um, the first letter of St. John, um, where he says, something we have heard and seen, something we have touched with our own hands, the word who is alive. This is what we preach. So, so, you know, that just makes so much sense. Uh, and I think it should for, for every Catholic. As I said earlier, you know, our faith is a sacramental faith. And uh, we don't just uh, listen to the word. Um, the word comes to us in the context of our day-to-day lives. This was, this was the, great, uh, the great revelation of, of Christ's incarnation, becoming human flesh. Uh, moving among us as, as, as one of us and, and, to, and to, to get a sense of how he continues to do that through his body of, of, of the church. Um, the, the word is not just something we hear. It's something we handle with our hands, we, something we have heard and seen and have touched with our hands. It is life. <laughs> it's uh, such, a, we're, we're, <laughs> such a blessing. It's such a blessing, and, you know, in your approach that you mentioned there, Father, to preaching. So we, we've talked about this before. You know, you, the, preaching is a unique art that has a particular set of goals that are often misunderstood. Uh, and and to, correct me if I'm wrong from our conversations that for you, for you, at least part of what preaching in the context of the liturgy is, is to help awaken people's imaginations to the way that the world is as God has designed it and how they kind of find themselves in that world and the meaning that comes from that, from everything they do, once they can see themselves in that, that world that God has constructed and, and given meaning to everything from, from our labor to our own suffering and failures to our family life and joys to whatever it is. And that preaching helps to evoke that by allowing the scriptures to dialogue with life. So, for, for you as a priest, and, and this is obviously a, a podcast for for anyone, for the people of God, but for priests, what particularly do you think for preaching is the most um, important aspect of achieving the goal we just described here, which is helping people awaken to this reality in daily life? Well, the uh, I, I think one of the ways, uh, uh, one of the perspectives that has greatly influenced my approach to preaching came when I heard uh, a homiletician say uh, that the, the Eucharist has two parts, the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist, and each part has its own communion service. The homily is the communion service of the liturgy of the word, meaning that the homily, which in Greek, the word homileo means conversation. It doesn't mean instruction. It means a conversation between Christ and his people which is an encounter. So 
a homily, a sacramental speech, its purpose, its, its main purpose is to engender an encounter, an encounter with the living word of God. So th- th- that's the, um, in, in my estimation, that's the, uh, um, that's the hallmark of homiletic preaching. And there are different kinds of preaching, as we've talked about before. Uh, there's evangelization, there's catechesis, there's theological argument, and then there's homiletic. And each one of these types of preaching is governed by its own rhetorical rules. Uh, you know, with, with argument, you, uh, you muster evidence. With catechesis, you much muster examples. With evangelization, you, you, you rely a lot on personal witness. The main rhetorical strategy of homiletic preaching, believe it or not, is description. The more that you can describe what's going on in people's lives and, and, and give them a sense that God is just beneath the surface, he's, he's beneath the appearance, you know, which is, again, it's part of our Catholic ethos. We see more than meets the eye. And, and, and when you start to develop an eye for this, you know, it's, it's like a deer hunter who can, who can spot the antlers of a, of a buck, you know, a mile away. I, I got some friends who can do that. I, I, I don't have that gift. I haven't trained my eye. But, you know, if we can train our eye to see Christ in the world around us, you know, I, I once had a spiritual director who told me, you know, when you start looking for grace, it starts showing up all over the place. Uh, here's a little example. Uh, a number of years ago, I, I was in line at Walmart, and I was behind this uh, Hispanic family uh, here in Texas, you know, in my diocese, 80% of our Catholics are Hispanic. But anyway, uh, 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 there's a young family, a father and mother, and a couple of kids. And I noticed that, uh, you know, the mother had placed these things on, on the uh, conveyor belt and the father was behind her, but he, he, he was holding up a bouquet of cut flowers. And uh, so I said to him, uh, I said, oh, uh, is there an anniversary or birthday in your family? And he, he looked at me and said, oh, no, 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 para la virgen, for the virgin. Those flowers he bought to take home to place in front of the statue of Our Lady. You, know, you just never know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, uh, when, don't. when God is going to be breaking in. Uh, uh, not too long ago, I, I was uh, at a uh, in-service uh, for the uh, local life squad. I, I volunteer for the search and uh, uh, I'm part of the search and rescue uh, uh, team at the, the local uh, state rock, uh, state park, the Cap Rock Canyons. So, so we, we had this uh, a meeting one night where uh, 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 a helicopter medevac crew was coming in from Lubbock, Texas, and, and we were going to uh, learn how to set up for a helicopter landing and, and all of that. And, and at the end of the evening, um, uh, the uh, medical team um, brought us out on the field, and, and we got to look inside this medevac helicopter. And I'd been in one years before, but I forgot how small they were. <laughs> and I remember mentioning to this young African-American nurse, who was she was just such a um, she was one of the presenters and just so in love with her work and so engaging. And I remember saying to her, I said, man, is that cramped? You got, you work in cramped court. I said, there's not room in there for a priest to go in and, and say the last rites. And she looked and said, oh, Father, don't you worry about that. Jesus squeezes in. He's right there with us. Before we take off, we always say a prayer. And we need him and he needs us. And he's right there. <laughs> Jesus squeezes in. And I said, ain't that true? 
so that's a that's an imagination that <laughs> like the Jesus squeezes in an imagination that's fit into your own your own work and your own space you inhabit that that the preacher then allows people to have an opportunity during mass during that communion service of the liturgy yes. of the word wow that's powerful by the way yes. uh, maybe you said that to me before but i haven't i didn't remember that um but but preaching so as as people who receive the preaching um you know you have your own kind of rules that govern your preaching to make sure it's truly homiletic that it's Christ's conversation right. with his people but on the side of the people of god us in the pew you know, what kinds of things in terms of receiving that word do we need to do to prepare ourselves well to receive it and then to translate it then into life? Are there just some things you, you would encourage people to do to really make use of the liturgy of the word and the homily well? Well, you know, uh, this might sound odd, but, you know, <laughs> sometimes, you know, in confession, you hear people say, well, uh, I, I get distracted in my prayer. I daydream a lot. And I think, well, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> those, those daydreams, those distractions, uh, a lot of uh, sometimes they, they can definitely be the work of the Holy Spirit. So, so when you're listening to a homily and you find yourself drifting off, don't 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 be kicking yourself. Follow, follow where that's leading. You know, uh, you know how often don't we go into a beautiful church and we're, we're caught by the art artwork and 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 oh, you know, the, the, we receive some inspiration from that. So, so if if the preacher happens to be saying that makes you, saying something that makes you think about, you know, uh, something your kids said that morning at breakfast or, uh, you know, a, a, a certain scene that you see on the way from work, uh, driving into work, a, uh, a pasture field or, or some apartment building, you know, to, to start to use your imagination to, uh, to make these connections. I, 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 I think daydreaming <laughs> can be a very, very uh, fruitful religious uh, um uh, discipline. Uh, so uh, obviously, you want to stay. You, you want to hear the point of what the preacher is making, uh, but you don't want to overlook the encounter. You know, where is this uh, engagement with Christ? You know, He's reaching out to us all the time in the in the words that we speak, in the tone of voice, in the images that we use, uh, in the settings we paint. Um, you know, the, the more that we can open that up as preachers and the more as listeners that we can enter into the homily or the gospel, like we enter into a room. I, I remember reading a, a homiletician once who, who spoke about how each passage is, is like a, a, a building. Some, some biblical passages, you know, are, are grand cathedrals, you know, uh, or the, the saints before the throne of God in the book of Revelation. Other biblical passages are, are like a restaurant. Jesus is feeding feeding the hungry. Uh, some of them are like shanties that, that make us turn up our collar against the, the cold that's coming in through the crack in the, the window. You know, to, to, to visualize, to put ourselves into the place is very incarnational. Now, uh, you know, a, a more didactic approach We'll talk about drawing lessons, conclusions, and that's good. Um, and, and homiletic preaching does that, but it does it in, uh, it's most effective when it does it in a engaging, descriptive kind of way and allows people to make those connections in the context of, of the life that they live and, and the places where they live and work. Mm, beautiful. Well, Father, to kind of move Towards the end here, I want to quote something from you that you wrote here, and maybe just as a final um, reflection, just what you 
consider your own privilege of being a, a pastor and a preacher. You say, uh, as a priest, it has been my profound privilege to grasp and handle this great and profound mystery, not only at the altar, but to witness it in action at construction sites, bakeries, poultry barns, mechanic shops, and feedlots, just to name a few. I think that is such, it's such a beautiful expression, Father, uh, of your sincere love for people and what they do and the particular character of what they do, the uniqueness, the theology of place that we talked about last time, the uniqueness of the place and the work done in the place. So maybe just a final few comments on, on again, your own reverence for human work and its connection to your own faith as a priest. Well, th thank you very much, Tom. That's it's a very high compliment. And really, the, the compliment goes to the Lord. You know, the uh, uh, to be able to uh, uh, hone that 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 eye for seeing the world as a place of, geez, just incredible wonder, surprises. Uh, uh, you know, to uh, it, it just has always given me so much hope, and uh, um, it's deepened my appreciation. I, I suppose part of this too is um, comes uh, from. Uh, it, it 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 was bolstered by uh, by the wisdom of a spiritual director I had for many years a long time ago. He uh, he he mentioned once that gratitude is the essence of sainthood, mm. and 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 that came at a time in my life when I I was spitting a lot of nails, <laughs> and uh, it really had a profound impact. And 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 the more that I I I worked at cultivating that 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 perspective uh, perspective of gratitude. Um, and, you know, I, I started to look around me at all the gifts and, and all the things that people do to, uh, um, you know, to earn a living, to, to show love for their families, to give of themselves, to make the world a better place, to, to just keep things going. Man, you know, that, that, that's, it's such an honor and privilege that, to get to move among all of that, you know? Um, Sometimes it makes me feel guilty for not doing enough. <laughs> I'm just standing around looking and, and receiving it and saying, oh, man, this is so neat. You know, uh, it's such a blessing. But, but a lot of it comes from gratitude um, and, and um, you know, kind of the, uh, uh, the blessings that come from, uh, uh, from developing that a perspective on the world. Um, and, of course, that, that, that includes... Uh, looking for the grace in, in the dark places as well, but uh, you know, to, to keep your eyes focused on the light, um, that light that shines in, in this world of ours, um, it, it's, it's its own reward, I guess. Yes. Thank you so much for that uh, way to conclude this, Father. And uh, I'll end on th on that note with referring to a priest friend of mine who was, I think he was, around 70 years old when he died. And I worked with him in Des Moines. Um, he was my supervisor when I was up there working for a catechetical institute. And uh, he had grown up on a farm like yourself in Iowa with a large family, I think 12 or 13 children. And, um, and we were talking one time and he was German and, and just kind of very, he was not a very emotional huggy kind of guy, you know, <laughs> but he was yeah, exactly right. <laughs> But he, he, he was sharing with me, um, he was dying of cancer and he died of cancer before I left Des Moines. So I was there with my wife and, and I were there with him just before he died. And it was a privilege to be part of that last part of his journey. But as he was, you know, very sick at the end, he was sharing 
you know, some very personal um, reflections, much more like personal than he would normally do. And, and I think some of the vulnerability of his illness made him more willing to be, you know, share his own vulnerabilities with me. And one of the things he said is, you know, to me was, um, and if you knew him, you'd know this was not kind of a pious kind of, you know, affected thing to say it was he was sincere to the core. And he said, you know, when I, all these years of priesthood, I would never do anything else. And like you, he would say, you know, I don't know why lots of men don't want to be priests. It's just the most wonderful thing to do. And he was a priest for, I think, 42 or 43 years. Um, and he said, in all the years, you know, the, the love that I felt in my heart for the people, uh, all these years and in their different situations in life and, and, and all of that, he said, one thing I discovered over the years is that the way that Christ was inviting me into union with himself, the unique way as a priest was to allow his love for them to express itself through me. And so when I would experience this deep love or compassion for these people that I would serve and whatever their situation was, I would realize that that was Christ in me loving them, that it's actually not about me, that I'm a sacrament to, of his love for them. And in as much as I experience that, I, I, I just feel it's a privilege that, I'm I'm being the vehicle for his depth of love for them in my own priesthood. And that's what's kept me going all these years. And and so I just say that just because that's that's the echo I hear in yourself, Father, although you wouldn't maybe say it the same way. That's, that's what I see, yeah, yourself. Yeah. And and I think, and I'll say it at the end, I think of John chapter 21 when Peter you know has that conversation with Jesus. And when Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And then Jesus's response is then feed my sheep, tend my lambs. That's how I know you love me. And, and so, so anyway, so thank you for the witness you give father to that and the way that you encourage us to live the same in our own lives as lay faithful. So at the end, speaking of being a sacrament, would you offer a blessing to us of your own sacramental priesthood at the end well, to lead us out? Well, thank you very much, Tom. And, and you continue your, your good and wonderful work as well. You know, thank you, father. I got to continue to, uh, spread his word through through all that we all do as best we can. So, yeah, well, yeah thank you. Keep the prayer and thank you again. It's been a wonderful opportunity. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord our God, we give you thanks for the many ways in which you enter into our lives. We ask you to continue to step into the uh, into the world and places where we work and live and help us to offer to you what you have offered to us, hearts of love, hearts of gratitude, joy in our work, and confidence that you will complete the good work that you have begun in, in all of us at the beginning of each day, all the way to the end of our life. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, again, Father Jim Schmidtmeyer from Amarillo Diocese in Texas. Thank you again for joining us, and uh, we hope I hope to have you back on again for more conversations in the future. Thank you very much, Tom. God bless. You. All right, God bless you too. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sharing the Faith, and look forward to seeing you next time in two weeks for a new podcast. God bless. Thank you for tuning in today to the Sharing the Faith podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, visit ptdiocese.org slash sharing the faith. If you listen to the audio version through an app such as Apple Podcast, Spotify, or iHeartRadio, 
be sure to rate, review, and comment. If you watched on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe or leave a comment on the episode. Thank you for listening.